Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together in your name. We're thankful for what you have done for us and your sacrifice on the cross and the salvation, the gift that you have offered to us. And because of that, we have reason to gather together to worship you, to praise you, and to learn more of you. Pray that you bless the preaching of your word this morning. Bless Brother John in the message he has prepared that he be able to share what you have laid upon his heart uh, clearly that we can understand, that we can be drawn to you, we can learn more of your ways and seek to honor you by the words that we hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning to everyone. Welcome again to our time of looking into God's Word here. I continue a rather loose series, I guess, of the progression of God's people following his plan from Old Testament into New, New Testament church. And I want to kind of pause today as, as I move along, I kind of get sidetracked now and then a little bit. But I want to look at an incident in Jesus' ministry that I feel is very um, important, I think you would say, in some of that transition there. And if you would, turn with me to John chapter 9. My title was too long to make the bulletin this morning, so I will give it to you and attempt to explain it. The title is, What Must I Do? A question, and then the search for integrity. If that doesn't make too much sense now, um, I'll work on explaining that later as we get to that point. But for now, turn with me to John chapter 9, and I want to read the entire account here. Um, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the, with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. And he said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered, said, A man named Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him, who formerly was blind to the Pharisees, and it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him, because he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of him who had received his sight, 
And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who, do, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that Jesus was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory, we know this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he's from. Yet he had opened my eyes, and now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You are completely born in sin, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard they cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to Jesus, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have... You would have no sin, but now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. So the setting here, approximately halfway through Jesus' ministry, um, he and his disciples pass a blind man beside the road, and this man was probably begging. Uh, Beggars were pretty common in those days without the... Uh, advanced medical treatments that we're used to today, there were any number of physical ailments that could put somebody um, into the, you know, unable to care for themselves. And a crippled hand or foot or being blind like this uh, couldn't be fixed by surgery. And so typically that left no choice but simply to beg. And keeping in mind, too, that there weren't too many occupations in those days where if you couldn't walk or see, There wasn't much you could do, and so here we again find not much left but begging. And we also see in the disciples' question here, um, whose sin caused this blindness? Now this kind of goes back to the ancient uh, kind of ingrained superstitions that they were used to, that sin caused bad things to happen. And it was believed pretty commonly that physical ailments, especially ones like this, were the extent of sin in someone's life. We might understand this thought a bit more if we remember that in the Old Testament, blessings and cursings were often directly following a person's action. Um, If you obeyed God, he blessed you, and if you didn't, he didn't. And that's where we think about Jesus' statement in Matthew 5, that it rains on the just and on the unjust. Uh, that was really different because um, that the just and unjust would receive the same treatment. 
That was not how they thought through things. So the question here, um, the, the immediate uh, first question of who sinned? Why, where did this sickness come from? This blindness come from? Whose fault was it? That was kind of ingrained in them throughout history. And we, a lot of ancient civilizations, if we read stories, uh, put a lot of effort into pleasing their gods. God with a small g. They felt they had to do certain things, sacrifices, they had to do a lot of things in effort to keep their gods from becoming angry with them. Because if he was angry, then bad things would happen. And God's people too easily found themselves thinking along similar ways, in part because God did operate a bit that way, a bit more that way in the Old Testament. So Jesus here did not deny that sin can cause suffering, but instead he answered in verse 3 that no, this was not because of sin, but because of an opportunity that God was going to use to show himself to bring honor and glory through his son here. And Jesus reminds them again in verse 5 that he is the light of the world. <clears throat> now the man here did not know what light was. I, I'm assuming that he was blind to the extent that he couldn't see at all. I, we're not told that. We're also not told you know, what caused his blindness. He was born that way. Could he have, been, could he have had surgery today and been, been I don't know, been, you know so, uh, been able to see again? But this man was in the dark, literally. Um, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so this man is suffering from physical darkness, but also, as we see later, from spiritual darkness as well. And Jesus is the one who brings the light. Now, unfortunately, here we're not given this man's name, so we're kind of left to refer to him as this man or the blind man. I'm sorry. seems a bit impersonal to me. I thought about just kind of assigning him a name, but that's not really maybe the way we do it. Um, so we're going to refer to him just as the man. And anyway, Jesus began by curing his physical condition first. And while it isn't always possible to cure someone's physical condition, it isn't always necessary to do that in order for someone to see Christ. In this case, he did, and I believe it showed compassion. Um, it, it showed compassion to the man as a person by not overlooking his immediate needs. It, it recognized him and what he needed um, more than just, yes, the spiritual came later, but right now we're going to focus on you and what you need. And he proceeded to heal him. He spit in the dust, he made clay, and he applied it to the man's eyes. And I don't know what the significance of this clay was. Originally, uh, God created man from the dust of the earth, breathing in the breath of life, life. And here Jesus again used clay to create new sight for this man. So did he make a new pair of eyes? Did he just use it as a symbolic? I don't know. Um, kind of interesting that he, in this case, did not just simply touch him as he did so many people, but actually made clay and put it on the man's eyes. So anyway, the man uh, went and washed, came back, and could see again. And then, his, first of all, his neighbors questioned him. Are you really that blind guy, or are you just look like him? And here again, I think this is very interesting. It kind of begs the question, I'm going to assume this man was at least a teenager, an adult, more than just a child. Um, did his neighbors really not recognize him? Had they paid so little attention to him all these years that when he walked around seeing, they actually like, looked at him twice and said, are you, are you really who we think you are? Um, was he just simply another object they passed on their way to work every morning and they didn't really even know him? I wonder if that's maybe why Jesus 
attended to his personal needs first as simply giving the man a feeling of self-worth. Everyone else has just simply passed you by your whole life. I'm going to take time and look at you as a person. So once they were convinced it was him, they were full of questions. You know, who did this? Why did he do this? How did he do this? And the man had a few answers at first. He said it was a man named Jesus, but I don't know where he went. Um, didn't have much more than that. He just, you know, knew he could see. So next he was taken to the Pharisees. And we know the Pharisees, uh, they were self-appointed judges of all that happened. And while the people, no doubt, at times chafed under their rule, um, by habit or by fear, they didn't keep much hidden from them. We've seen other passages, too, that there were always a few people who were quick to run to the Pharisees if something new or controversial came, came along, and they were quick to go um, keep the Pharisees updated, kind of get the idea they were hoping to maybe please the Pharisees, earn favor with them, so it would go better for themselves. We see that with the parents' response here. They were not interested in getting on the wrong side of the Pharisees. They were very worried about that. The Pharisees had obviously heard Jesus before, the things he was doing. Um, there were already strong opinions among themselves, actually, about Jesus. Uh, some held very strongly to their, to their traditional view of the law. Uh, Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and therefore it didn't matter what else happened. Um, there could be no good done by doing any kind of work on the Sabbath. And if you broke their laws on that, um, you were pretty much just condemned all the way. Didn't matter what else happened. Others were more open-minded. They said, could anyone who does this stuff actually be from Satan? Um, I think here we see a difference in people. Um, some were very, very, I don't want to say narrow-minded, but yeah, very, very committed to what they believed to the point where they were unable to see truth. Others were open. They questioned. And again, um, Part of that maybe was simply, uh, they were asking, you know, could someone who does good deeds be from Satan, back to their belief that good always came from God and bad always came from sin. So the man himself gave a very interesting answer to their question, verse 17, he said, he is a prophet. And now this man was an outcast from society, um, no one wasted any time on him, and he was blind, I doubt if he had any, or much if any, significant schooling. Um, where, did he, where did his responses come from here? He recognized something different about Jesus, more than just the ability to heal his physical ailments. And a prophet, as referred to in those days, was one who had a very close connection with God. Um, a prophet spoke truth directly as it was revealed to him by God himself. And in calling Jesus a prophet, I think the man was attempting possibly to elevate Jesus above even the Pharisees themselves. I don't know that. Um, they certainly took offense at it, and it appears the man had very little respect for the Pharisees, very little respect, very little fear of what they had to say. And I had to wonder, you know, we don't know the backstory here. Had the Pharisees gone out of their way to avoid him his whole life as well? Did they also believe he was cursed? Did they pass by the other side of the road, as we, as we know the stories, um, did they even possibly secretly harass him? Did they, look, did they kick his little can of coins over now and then? Well, he's blind. He can't see who it was. Um, and did he now recognize maybe some of those same voices that he heard all those years were now speaking? I don't know. Just interesting thoughts there. Um, either way, he didn't have a lot of respect for the Pharisees as they were asking him these questions. They brought the man's parents in the argument as well. 
Is this your son? Was he blind? Why can he see? And like I said, obviously the fear of the Pharisees was greater than the love for the son, and they pretty much distanced themselves as far from him as they possibly could. So this man obviously hadn't inherited much courage from his parents either. So the Pharisees again pressured this no longer blind man to share their hatred of Jesus by renouncing him as a sinner because of breaking the Sabbath traditions. And the man refused to be drawn into their theological arguments. I'm sure you heard him before, their traps, and simply says what he knows to be true. He answers their arguments with just basic truth, and he says, I was blind, but now I can see. And to him, that is enough. That is truth without all the extras. And were his eyes simply beginning to open to the world around him um, in a physical way, but also realizing that there's a lot of spiritual blindness? Did he recognize that in the Pharisees too, um, that there was spiritual blindness on their part? Certainly wasn't getting much light from them. In verse 27 then, he gains either boldness or sarcasm, puts him on the offensive and asks him, well, do you want to become his disciples as well? And that, of course, really um, you know, didn't go well with them at all. But I look at, in about 15 verses here, he went from a very uncertain, you know, I don't know, to now he is challenging their unbelief, directly challenging them and said, do you also want to believe what I do? And their response, unfortunately, is one of condemnation. They fall back on their established history, as an excuse to hide behind their unwillingness to accept the truth as it is standing in front of them. He was, he could see. He was blind, and now he can see. And he replies with a very interesting little sermon there in verses 30 through 33, a very logical explanation that, um, well, we can just look at it again here. God does not hear sinners, so Anyone who is a worshiper of God and does his will, God will hear him. And no one has ever been healed of blindness before. So if this man were not from God, he could not do these things. So he had a very little, very little logical argument there. And their reaction, unfortunately, <clears throat> I think they knew what he said was true. And so what they did then is they attacked him as a person. Uh, verse 34, you were born in sin. In other words, your opinion, your statement means nothing. And they threw him out. And unfortunately, once they were unable to escape the message of the truth, then they attacked the messenger. We see that happen today. Maybe we've done that ourselves at times. Um, if we think if we can find fault with someone who points something out, then we're not responsible to listen to what that person is saying. And I think we see that very plainly here. Um, when confronted with truth and no way around it, then they simply threw out the messenger. So Jesus heard what happened, and he came looking for the man. And here we see kind of what the title is referring to. Um, the man, I believe, sensed an emptiness in his life, a spiritual blindness, even though he could now physically see. I don't think he quite understood what that emptiness, what that, under, what that blindness meant to him. He had caught this glimpse of Jesus, I believe in a spiritual way, when Jesus healed him, enough that gave him courage to argue with the Pharisees. But Jesus came looking for him, first of all. I think that's significant. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. In John 6.44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So we speak of coming to Jesus, and yes, we have to. 
But without him first seeking us as he did here, we would never find him. So Jesus came to find the man. We go back to his original statement. I don't know where he is. I don't know where he, he went. Jesus needed to then come to him in order to give the man the opportunity to ask the next question then. Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of God? And this is a, a, a very typical question he asks of those he healed. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in the various ways he asked it there? And the man responded with the question that we see repeated many times in the people Jesus encountered. It's a question in the title today. Uh, what do I have to do? And here the man says, well, who is he, Lord? I want to believe too. And I think Lord here, some would believe that Lord is more uh, sir rather than Lord. It's a term of respect, but not at this point yet of worship. And we look at the other uh, situations in the New Testament, um, people who are searching. Zacchaeus climbed the tree to get a clearer view. Nicodemus asked, how can these things be? They wanted to know more. They sensed there were things that they did not know. The rich young ruler asked, what must I do? Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? All examples of people who were searching for something that they didn't quite know what it was yet. And here's the man asking the same thing. Who is he, Lord? There's something there that he wanted, that he was searching for. And these people, I believe, whether they knew it or not, were searching for completeness. They were searching for a wholeness that their life was lacking. And if we look at the word integrity, the search for integrity, integrity has several meanings. Um, one is simply honesty. The dictionary says of moral uprightness. So if a man has integrity, he's honest. But another definition is the state of being whole, uh, completeness, undivided, soundness. So if something has integrity, it is all complete. There's no loose ends. Um, it's strong. It's complete. It's whole. So that is the integrity that is being spoken of here. And the man, along with the other examples I mentioned there quickly, recognized that the world around him was not complete. The world was not whole. Uh, starting with the Pharisees here. There's a double standard. The Pharisees said that they upheld truth while at the same time condemning those who practiced truth. They promoted a double standard. There was compromise. There was fakeness. There was hypocrisy. And like his parents did, did there was the easy road of going along to get along. We've heard that term. I'll just do what I have to do so I get along. Um, that, is not, that is not integrity. The rich young ruler had to choose between eternal life and his riches. The choice was too great. Um, the desire for integrity was overcome by the love of his worldly um, possessions. Pilate needed to choose between his conscience and staying in favor with his superiors, and we know which he chose as well. Nicodemus, like the rest of the Pharisees in today's story, needed to choose between the established traditions that he had been passed along for generations or choosing Jesus' new way of teaching. Some chose truth. And the changes that it brought, when you think of the story of Zacchaeus, returned everything he took dishonestly, and then some, he went the extra mile. And Nicodemus, the man today, um, accepted rejection by their peers in exchange for the wholeness and the completeness, the integrity that they sought and then found in Jesus here. They chose to believe and they chose to worship. They accepted Jesus' invitation. Verse 37, uh, those who are blind and come seeking will receive their sight. But Jesus also issued a serious warning to others in verse 39 and verse 41. 
Those who think they can see are blind. Those who believe they have all the answers too often are not, do not have their eyes open. And he told the Pharisees, if you didn't know, you would not be guilty. If you didn't think you had it all together, you would, you would still be open. But now you have seen the truth and rejected it. Now your own blindness condemns you. So they had chose to reject integrity. They chose to re uh, reject spiritual light and had accepted a double standard in their lives. We live in a world that has rejected truth. Uh, it embraces a double standard. The other day I saw a bumper sticker that was promoting safe abortions. And I, I, I've never seen quite that before. And I had to wonder, you know, safe for who? Um, what a double standard here. Um, we know they haven't figured out a way to uh, abort babies without killing them. So I think safe abortions is probably an excellent example of a double standard if we ever saw one. A double standard also will always fear integrity. And it will search for ways to silence or destroy that. And I did not get the chance or take the chance to ask the, the driver of that vehicle to explain how that how their bumper sticker actually worked. Um, I doubt that they would have been open to discussing truth, possibly, but maybe not. Um, but light exposes what darkness tries to hide. Truth reveals lies. The other day, customer's house, um, we get kitchen, bathroom, whatever. She had this little mirror, and the one side was normal, and he looked at it, and I'm used to seeing what I saw there. The other side, you turn it over, and it's like, whoa, you know, there, there, there's a close-up. And uh, I saw lots of things that, nah, I didn't have to see that close. I kind of preferred the, the non-magnified side there. And a search for integrity will also do the same to us. It'll bring out those flaws that are so easily passed over day to day. We'll see things that might need to be changed. And as the blind man learns, we can also expect to encounter opposition if we expose those things. John 3.19 says, Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Like that little magnifying mirror, the brighter the true light shines, the more that it's going to reveal, both in our lives and in others. But it can also lead to a way of wholeness, a way of completeness, a way that God intended us to walk, one that causes His light to reflect from our lives. And like the blind man saw today, it's, it's a way that is so much better, a way that is worth living, a way of integrity and not of, not of doubleness. So I want to leave you with that encouragement today. Let's stand for prayer and remain standing again for the final song. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that you alone have the ability to fill what's missing in our lives. You alone can open our eyes from spiritual blindness. You alone offer a wholeness, a completeness that can be found nowhere else, and you alone are truth. We ask you to give us a desire for that truth, to seek it as, as the man did in today's account. Guide and direct us in the week ahead. Grant us safety until we meet here again. Um, give us your love and your integrity as we meet those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.